Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I am David Chen, and as you no doubt know by now, this podcast is continuing and we'll be recapping season four of Westworld, uh, which is debuting this week on HBO. But Joanna Robinson is not here. Um, She will be recapping Westworld and reviewing Westworld over at The Ringer. However, I'm extremely thrilled to introduce my new co-host for this year. Uh, Siddhant Atlaka is a freelance film critic whose writing has appeared at the New York Times, IGN, Vulture, and IndieWire. Siddhant, welcome to the co-host chair for Decoding Westworld. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, As you can all see, I am the new Joanna. I hope to fill her shoes adequately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are excited. And uh, while Joanna is irreplaceable, um, I have been a great, been a great admirer of Siddhant's for a long time. I think he is uh, one of the best critics working today. So I'm so thrilled that you have agreed to come with me on this journey. We're going to talk about uh, season three. We're going to look back at season three, reflect on it, our overall thoughts on it. Um, And then we're going to talk about where each of the characters are uh, and what the state of play is for them uh, heading into season four. Of course, we have no idea if any of the predictions we make will be accurate or not, or, you know, like the show could start in an alternate reality and, you know, all this could be irrelevant. We have no idea at the, at the moment we're recording this, what the plot of season four is going to be. But we are going to try to uh, make a, make a preview here. So Sadan, let's talk about your thoughts on Westworld. Um, You are somebody who has continued to stick with the show despite a lot of ups and downs. Um, tell us about your overall thoughts on the show and what you like about the show, and then your your thoughts on season three. Well, Westworld is a show that has had me hooked since the beginning, but uh, I think we need to consider that a value-neutral statement, uh, <laughs> because what keeps me coming back to it is the ideas. It has one uh, like great idea after the next, one amazing idea after another. Uh, whether or not it fully delivers on those ideas, it depends on the week. It depends. But uh, there's always something interesting happening. It's, it's very hard sci-fi. It's very good sci-fi. Um, it's, it's very often not so great drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's brilliantly assembled. The music is incredible. The visual effects are stellar. The scene-to-scene scene construction is weird. Um, so there's a lot to say about it. And I have enjoyed how it began as a, in a way, a spin-off, a remake, an expansion of the original film with a whole bunch of new concepts thrown in. And then it, you know, kept expanding until it started taking place in, you know, the real world, our world, our future. Um, where's it going to take place next in season four? Um if the trailer is anything to go by, maybe in like a Mad Max type of you know <laughs> desert apocalypse scenario, mm-hmm. uh, and also some high rises, 
I guess we'll find out what's next for Westworld. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I spent a significant amount of time rewatching season three this last week. I, I didn't rewatch all all of season three, but I kind of like um, rewatched the premiere and rewatched the finale and rewatched like a bunch of the highlights. I think you're right that this is definitely like a show of ideas, you know, and to a fault. I would say is the problem is because it introduces so many ideas. It's brimming with ideas and there's so many shows that are bereft of ideas, you know, like there's so many shows that don't have any ideas at all really. And so I don't want to fault the show, but I have to, because you put it really well. Like the ideas are great. The drama is not as great. You know, often the drama feels inert as a result of how many ideas there are. Uh, But let's just talk about, season three uh like overall like the arc of season three overall um and the main ideas there first of all like big swing to take the show out of the park period right like Mm -hmm. and and again you know you gotta admire the chutzpah you gotta admire the boldness to like take the show out of the park and do something wild and different with the show this season introduce like a new central character uh caleb nichols played by aaron paul and so i admire the ambition and there is a whole theme and thread throughout the season of um, humans being controlled by machines in this. You know, it's it's the other way around now. It's not mm-hmm. um, uh, humans controlling machines. It's machines controlling humans now. And that's an interesting idea, but it throws in so many other ideas on top of that one that most of the season just became... Finley establishing a reality and then pulling the rug out from under you. It's like, you think it's this way, but no, it's not. And then you think it's this way and no, it's not. You know, like that, w- I felt like that was the show was just an endless series of those kind of reveals um, throughout season three. But the central idea I did like, you know, which is that uh, is very Gattaca esque. You ever see Gattaca, right? Uh, I did not. This idea that your fate is programmed from birth. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, and by the way, amazing film Gattaca, you should totally watch. But like, um, there's this machine, Rehoboam, that is theoretically there to restore peace to humanity. Uh, And it dictates what everyone should do and the the stations in life you should occupy. Um, A lot of Matrix esque vibes as well, in addition to Gattaca. This idea, like, we're all being controlled by these machines and, like, you can never, you need to break free. You need to have choice. You need to have freedom. Choice, a big part of both uh, franchises. Uh, And so I like that idea, but there's just so much other stuff on top of it um, that kind of obscures it. There's, there's, I'll just bring up one more example. I'm bringing up a ton of pop culture examples, but like uh, Alex Garland's Devs on Hulu. which was, I think it was like six to eight episodes. And it was just the idea of a Rehoboam-like machine. And that's, mm-hmm. that was the whole show. It was just that one idea and like one plot point, basically. And that's it, right? And I, you know, there's a lot of positives and negatives to devs. Well, there's actually a couple. There's another big idea along those lines. But like, it's like two ideas. Westworld Season 3 is like 15 ideas. You know, it's like there's a machine that's controlling everyone and what is free will and oh, uh Dolores has implanted herself into four different people. What does that even mean? Can what is a what does it mean to fracture yourself like that? And then Caleb who's like um has all this trauma from what he's done, but they actually wiped his memories it turns out. 
Um, and w- if you if they wipe your memories, are you really the same person? You know, and, and so it's like all these ideas um, that I just don't think are given enough time to breathe. Um, yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways, Westworld season three is several of the best movies from 1999. You've got The Matrix thrown in, you've got Fight Club thrown mm. in, and various different parts of them coming together. Um, but before I was re-watching some of season three, I was thinking back to it about how much I loved the Rehoboam idea and how much I loved, well, not just the idea of an artificial intelligence that, you know, in a way takes after the predictive algorithms we already have, you know, in terms yeah. of how we uh, categorize people and try and sell and advertise to them. Uh, but I especially love the idea of, you know, uh, Rehoboam being in Sirach's ear, the Vincent Cassell character, yes. and how he's essentially not just acting on the orders of an AI, but uh, almost one in the same with him, saying exactly what he's told to say. Um, but then I watched the season three finale again, and I realized, wait a second, that isn't revealed to us until like the last 15 minutes of the yes. season. <laughs> yes. Um, because... and, 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 and that's a great point because it's like, it's it's such a massive reveal, but you have no time to think about what the implications of that are. You know, like, and it's like, what does that even mean that he's been controlled the entire time? Of course, there's like eight reveals in the season finale. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. it, it blunts the impact. Anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's okay. No, we're on the same page here because yeah. so much of the season is about you know, this intended narrative sleight of hand, like, oh, well, you thought this character was doing thing A, yep. they're actually doing thing B. But in the process, what they do in between, you know, establishing where they begin and like revealing where they end up, it's it's all so vague and, you know, faux mysterious that it's it's hard to follow it from a dramatic standpoint. Because on one hand, if you're given certain information up front, you understand where the characters are coming from. You understand their motivations better. But then when you leave that information until like the last few minutes of the season, you just kind of have to follow them passively and then uh, think to yourself, oh, okay, I guess all, all of what they did makes sense in retrospect just for the sake of a reveal, you know, right. rather than having emotional investment. And that's and, that's what the show has become. It, it's like become so obsessed with these reveals, I think, you know? Uh, it's obsessed with like tricking the audience or being ahead of the audience that it's almost to the point of parody. Um, at the same time, uh, but by the way, the the reveal that Vincent Cassell's character has Rehoboam speaking to him, it's very similar to another low budget sci-fi movie that came out in the last five, 10 years. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to reveal it because it's a spoiler for that film. But at the end of this sci-fi film from a very well-regarded horror sci-fi director, it's revealed like, oh, the thing was giving the orders the entire time. Um, I, I like the idea of this uh, Rehoboam as a concept too, right? Uh, there's so many, so much interesting stuff there. The idea that uh, a lot of this data uh, that this Rehoboam machine has on us is data that was surrendered willingly, right? Um, or actually, no, I think he technically bought it from, he's, he's trying to, Sorak is trying to get the Westworld data and that data was surrendered willingly because people went to the park. But that, yeah. but the idea that like some of the data they're trying to get for Rehoboam is like given willingly f- from people, which is like, we give data up all the time to major tech companies. And that's an interesting idea. And um, predictive algorithms and can you ever overcome them? And, you know, th- there's tons of like interesting stuff. Uh, and so it, it's just about, can you take those interesting ideas? Can you focus down on like just a handful? 
like one to three and make that the focus of your entire season. We will see. Um, so I want to talk, I'll just talk a little bit about the things I really liked about season three, right? You already talked about a lot of it, uh, which is like the performances are great. The production values are great. Um, there's, there's some genuinely cool moments. Um, I love the, the look of the outside world in Westworld, right? Like beyond the park, uh, it looks like a sci-fi city and there's flying cars and there's security robots and mechs and droids and stuff like that. And all that stuff is pretty cool. Um, so I enjoy all of that. And, and of course, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, I think is just tremendous as Dolores. I think she's just been, uh, the, the role demands so much of her. She needs to be a badass. She needs to kick ass. She also needs to be vulnerable. She needs, she's turning on a dime often, like within one scene, she's changing her complete emotional state. Um, it's incredible. But on the flip side, we've already talked about how there's too many ideas. There's too many twists. There's just tons of exposition. People like people talk in riddles. Like by the end of the show, people are just speaking in riddles. You know, a character like Caleb will say, so wait, I am the chosen one. And then someone will say, you're not the chosen one. You're the only one. You know, it'll be like something like yeah. that. And it's just like, okay, you know, at some point you just say what you mean, you know, like just, I, I just want to understand what's going on. Um, yeah, at one point, uh, somebody gives someone a briefcase to give to someone else, and he's like, give it to him. And then you see Clifton Collins <laughs> Jr. handing um, Bernard the briefcase, and he's like, go see her. And then <laughs> he goes and, you know, yeah. sees uh, Arnold's wife, I believe. And it's yes. a beautiful scene, but yes, um, do we need do we need all of that? you know, mystery, sleight of hand stuff. Right. What was, what was that? So that was another copy of Dolores in Clifton Collins Jr.'s body, right? Yeah. Um, what was, what was she slash he doing this whole season? Like, what were they, what were they chilling. up to? Yeah, just, just chilling, chilling I vibing. think. I, I don't, because I don't think you've seen that person until that episode, if, if I recall correctly. But Yeah, because look, may- if you have, you know, two Delori <laughs> driving the action, you need a third one just vibing in the background. <laughs> You know, just biding the time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, and uh, I, I think the other issue with the show that it's really running up against is like is that death often has no meaning on the show. You know, yes. Um, because we've seen characters die and people die, and then they come back and they're revived somehow, and it's like it makes it hard to feel like there's stakes. Uh, James Marsden's character who died in season two is apparently going to be a character in season four. Like, I'm like, okay, don't know how they're going to explain that one. You know, um, I really feel like the, you know, it it feels very comic book like, but I don't think Mm -hmm. the show has uh, the necessary foundation to, to, to kind of make death meaningless in that way. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's it's becoming sort of halfway between a traditional ensemble drama and an anthology series where you have the same cast playing entirely different people, but you also have them playing the same people. And, you know, in some ways you need that. Some ways, you know, it, it makes sense. Like, you know, you have uh, Bernard being a copy of Arnold and so forth. Uh, but then after a while, it's just, oh, let's just bring back some familiar faces, make them play different people, make, make Dolores, you know, everyone. And... Um, I like the way they explore it with uh, Charlotte, with Tessa Thompson. Uh, but then are they really going to do anything with, you know, all the other Doloreses? Um, who's to say? The showrunners yeah. are to say, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think I would be more willing to, like, roll with it if the show 
had a more fun or campy tone. Do you know what I mean? But I mm-hmm. feel like the show takes itself deathly seriously, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and that's a problem when you're dealing with like some uh, issues and plot developments and situations that are occasionally just extremely silly, you know? Yeah, and that clash also, it, it manifests in a weird way when you have something like season three, where, again, you have all these ideas and, you know, in order for the larger plot to play out the way it does, you know, uh, the various revelations about the data and then devolving into riots and sword fights, for all that to happen, you need most of these characters to be switching motivations and allegiances throughout, like, you know, all right, Maeve is fighting Dolores now, but they're on the same side because... Dolores read her a poem or something. She didn't actually, but she may as well have. You're talking about human beauty and like, you know, uh, her motivations change as yeah. well. And um, yeah, if I think it needs to at some point admit that it is a plot focused, you know, action focused show more than a character focused one, because the more it hides in the body of a character focused show, mm-hmm. the more it puts that front and center mm-hmm. uh, in this very scatterbrained way. Um, it just, it just falls apart because it you end up requiring all these scenes of characters, like you said, just delivering exposition about their motivations in order to justify the next change in status quo. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the specific ideas that have been put forward. And again, every one of these ideas is super cool. And I love that the show is even experimenting in this space. Um, but you just mentioned Dolores. The idea of replicating a personality and placing it in different bodies, right? Of course, there's some like racial politics there that the show, I think, just is completely uninterested in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the show is kind of in, in a post-racial society, almost, <laughs> thinks of itself as post-racial, you know, because... I don't think it at all addresses the idea of like, what is it like for uh, a white woman to be in a black woman's body or a uh, Asian man's body or whatever, you know, like, I don't think it like is at all concerned with exploring that in any way. Yeah. But what it is concerned with exploring is the idea of if you take a single personality and put it in a different environment, in a different body, can that personality change? Can, if, if that person experiences different things, can it become a different person? Uh, and the show is saying definitively yes, because at the end we have the Charlotte Hale version of Dolores, a.k.a. Holores, which is what I will call her from now on, right? Um, or Charloris, whatever you prefer. Pick your poison. Um, you have Charloris, uh, who is now like dead set, uh, like she wants to destroy Dolores because like Dolores has taken away her entire... Actions that Dolores is engaged in have like directly or indirectly taken away Charloris's family, right? Uh, her whole family got blowed up in season three. And so um, Charloris is like, you know, now I'm going to lead the robot uprising. And so I like that. I, that's a really cool idea. Uh, and it was kind of a fun reveal. It's it, at the one time, on the one hand, it was anger inducing, but looking back on it, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. You kept us guessing about who, which personalities would be in which bodies, but at the end of the day, it's like, oh, it's all the same person. That was a cool reveal. Um, but that's just an example of like a, sp- a specific idea that's like kind of interesting that the show, um, I think, doesn't really do that much with beyond the plot, right? And beyond people saying, like intoning all these weird ass 
pronouncements about what it means to start from the same place and end somewhere different, you know? Yeah, and in in season three, I believe there was also, I can't remember if it was um, Charlotte or Clementine, which character, a character uh, who has, you know, uh, essentially Dolores in a different body, and there's like this element of self-harm, I believe, at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, But but regardless, the way the Charlotte storyline plays out, it, it almost, almost touches on this idea of bodily dysphoria. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. the the mind body disconnect. You know with with and and I think even you know knowingly or unknowingly Tessa Thompson's performance plays into that a little. But it's not something the show seems particularly interested in exploring beyond its plot function. Yeah, uh, and that yeah. again just ties into like you know here are all these grand sci-fi ideas that all eventually function um, in service of twists. Right, because there's very little time when, I mean, it takes several episodes, I believe, for you to even know that it is Dolores in each one of these bodies. And then Mm -hmm. by then, it's like, um, for them to kind of set up stakes and make it so that uh, you understand more about Charloris's mental state, it's... um, it's tough. I mean, you, you get the broad strokes, but you don't really get anything much deeper, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, another concept that I think is really cool is like the Caleb storyline. The idea is Caleb was an outlier. And what was really interesting is Rehoboam used outliers like Caleb to hunt other outliers, which is a thing that governments have done in the past. They have used the oppressed to hunt and control the the oppressed, right? And that's like a really compelling idea. But again, you don't find out that that's the case until I think episode seven. And so most of the time you don't know what you're watching. Like you don't know what's happening. Um, and that is to the show's detriment because as a viewer, I'm spending most of the time trying to figure out what's going on rather than uh, experiencing at an emotional level. Do you have any thoughts on Caleb's storyline? Um, not more than what you just said, because again, I think Caleb looking back in retrospect is an incredibly interesting character given where he's been, given where he's been, given where he is at currently. Um, but there are so many things that happened to him along the way that I think, Oh, any one of these could have made, you know, such an interesting season long arc or even an episode long arc rather than just like an isolated concept. Like he takes this drug called genre, which changes the kind of genre he sees himself in, whether it's action or romance. But that's again, it's a very fleeting concept. Like it, it feels like I don't, yeah. I don't pretend to know, you know, what uh, the writer's room is like. But it just seems like, you know, somebody had an idea one day and they, you know, pasted it to a wall and said, "We'll do this. We won't expand on it, but we'll use it somewhere." Yeah. And you know, similarly, the 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 Rico app that they use. You know, which first appears, you know, as Death Grips blares through the soundtrack, which was it, it very, it was very much for me. Um, that again, it, it's you know having the the Uber of crime, so to speak, is just a way to get him into uh, Dolores's orbit, right? Rather than to you know really. Uh, the, the implications the, the implications of the idea of a Rico app are not fully explored, right? Yes, and and which, which it's itself the existence of this app would like upend the social order in like multiple ways, right? But, yeah, yeah, and it it very rarely comes back. Like it it maybe comes back right at the end in a semi meaningful way where 
uh, okay, Dolores is now, you know, hiring people to um, escort Caleb around and call him yeah. sir, like he's Tyler Durden. Yeah. Um, yeah. But c- could I could I jump back to season one for a second? Please. Not, not like for an extended tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. But, but I'll, I'll just say before you do that, sure. that one of the my biggest issues with that Rico slash GTA style app is <laughs> um, that you, that the show points out, which is the problem with the app is that uh, <laughs> there's a fatal flaw with that app, Siddhanth, which is um, people can hire if you're if you're going doing a crime spree with other people, then the person will just offer one of those people like two million dollars to kill the uh, the people you went on the crime spree with, and, and that happens like multiple times. I think, or you know, it's like it's like yeah, I'll offer you two million dollars to kill the other guy, and it's like you would think that that would happen for every single crime because they want no loose ends. So, Pretty much. So the lesson of Westworld season three is do not use any app like Rico um, because they're just going <laughs> to kill you off Joker style uh, from you know the crime scene before you've even left. Anyway, take us back to season one, Sidon. Midway through season one, there's this incredibly interesting scene where you see this uh, in the park. You know, she, she's a host, this young native girl holding a statue she seems to have carved with like these, you know, these big eyes. And the implication is that somewhere in her subconscious, right? Maybe, you know, because these, these characters keep dying and they're, you know, rebooted by these Westworld workers in like these big hazmat suits with, you know, giant lights on top that look like eyes. Yeah. That somewhere in her subconscious, she, you know, retains this memory, right? That's the implication. Yeah. And it's it's so fascinating to think that she is giving this memory physical form almost like it's an idol to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. And what you're witnessing is almost like the birth of something pseudo-religious. Um, but what it turns out to be is is just another clue to like these hazmat suit dudes are, um, you know... Uh, running around the park at night and rebooting hosts and uh you know some of the robots might remember them and then that's that really just drives Maeve's plot forward you know in terms of you know figuring out a way to like you know hold on to those memories and that's fine that's good but the the implications of something like that the implications of the stain of these powerful memories and how they manifest is just completely glossed over uh, mm-hmm. In favor of you know, plot momentum, and yeah. that's when I first realized, oh no, this show, <laughs> oh no, where? <laughs> well, that was when you that was when you realized it. Interesting. Um, Did, but for you was it earlier or later? I think uh, season two is when the show really went off the rails. Like, yeah, okay. Se- season one had some big twists, but like. I actually think season one overall was very, very strong. You know, like... I agree, I, I agree. I, I, overall, like, season one was a great season of television. And there was a bunch of twists, but it wasn't out of control. Whereas season two was just... They're introducing so many concepts, like robot mm-hmm. heaven, other kinds of parks, like, all this stuff. Um, and uh, and season three, I don't know if... I would say kept roughly the same pace in terms of plot twists and reveals. Um but, yeah, but, just clarify know, what I was yeah. saying. Just clarify yeah. what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, my my oh no was at the fact that it gave me an idea that I just I loved. I was thrilled by that mm-hmm. idea because it it ends an episode. 
And so for mm-hmm. a week, I'm sitting there like, let's do this, man. Let's <laughs> let's see how robots find religion. Yes. And, um, yes. Maybe maybe that's on me for misinterpreting it. I don't know. Um, but gosh, what powerful imagery to do nothing with. <laughs> right. Because I, I think you're the idea of like, oh, um, um, like some some robots remember seeing these lights or whatever, and they could mm-hmm. form a religion around it. And like maybe the show can be an exploration of how religions form, even amongst yeah. the AI and stuff like you know. Like there's so many ways you could go with that. Um, but I think again, the show has always been super plot driven. So yeah, um, and then you skip forward a couple of seasons, and then you have a similar setup. This this line between AI and religion with Rehoboam, who's essentially a god. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, almost omnipotent and, you know, directing the main antagonist. And you don't find that out until the very end. Yeah. And then there's all these ideas of like free will. You know, that's really mm-hmm. fundamentally what is at stake. Free will. Um, if you know what the machine thinks your future is, can you change it? Minority report style kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Right. And yeah, all very interesting, but just a lot of stuff going on anyway. Uh, we're going to get into the specific plot details of season three. We're going to talk about where each character is, what we're thinking of slash looking forward to slash wondering for season four. Before we get to that, though, I do want to just give a plug for uh, some of the other stuff that we're doing on the Internet. Um, Sidon, if you want to tell people where they can find some of your other work on the Internet. Sure. I'm writing at a bunch of places right now, um, all of which I share to my Twitter, which is at Siddhant Atlaka. That's S-I-D-D-H-A-N-T-A-D-L-A-K-H-A. And one of the main things I'm working on right now is weekly Miss Marvel reviews for Vulture or New York Magazine. Um, And it is one of the rare Marvel things that I'm really, 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 really enjoying. So (laughs) feel free to join in. Yeah. Awesome. Check out those uh, recaps over at Vulture and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Um, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. And also check out my podcast, Culturally Relevant, at culturallyrelevantshow.com. It's another show that I do. Also, if you want to support this podcast, very easy to do that by going to patreon.com slash Dave Chen. I consider those supporters the people who are basically funding this podcast this season. Thanks so much to the folks at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. If you're enjoying this chat or future chats and you want to support the podcast, patreon.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay. Let's get to where each character is now. There was an article over at consequence.net 
that ran down each one of these characters, I may quote from it. Um, so if you, uh, the, the, they wrote an article um, by Guy Dolby, uh, get ready for season four by remembering who lives and who didn't in season three. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about each character. Um, so Maeve, uh, if you'll recall, Maeve uh, was acting on behalf of Ciroc uh, all of season three until the very end when, as you said, uh, Dolores read her a poem and then she's like, okay, I changed my mind. I'm going to fight for the robots instead. Right? And then she uses her Wi-Fi Jedi powers. <laughs> is, is that, was that your interpretation at the end of like how she... It wasn't super clear. I forget. Like, how did she overcome Sorak's, you know, kill switch? Do you recall that? I, I assume that it it goes back to one of the earlier seasons where she gets her, you know, abilities and stats turned up in the back end, uh, and so she can, you know, communicate and you know control uh, other hosts and such, just because of her internal mechanisms. But ends yeah. up looking a lot like a Jedi, which I think is it cool. wasn't. It wasn't clear to me if it was Maeve doing it or Dolores doing it because she'd been uploaded to Rehoboam already. You know, like maybe she was oh, acting to yeah. destroy the switch. Anyway, I don't think they ever really explain it. Um, <laughs> no. But, uh, anyway, she f- theoretically kills Sorak. And I think Sorak is dead, is my sense, from season three. Do you- I'm not sure. I don't I don't really know because... Isn't he, he like he, he is he is at the very least grievously injured, right? We okay, don't yeah, I don't think we see him like actually we don't th- see him actually expire, from what I recall. <laughs> but but I think he's like he's like bleeding out and not in a good state as as of the end of season three. So then she basically teams up with Caleb and is like, you know what? I am gonna see my daughter again. And she does get she does have that really cool line where she's she says, you know, he, out here you can be whatever the fuck you want, which is a callback to season one, and instead of the robots breaking free. It's the humans breaking free in season three. And so that's a cool parallelism that the show has, right? So they are the walking she, dead. Oh, yeah, wrong so show. She, sorry. Yeah, she is joining with, uh, uh, with Caleb to lead the humans in, in season four, I guess, question mark. Um, any, any thoughts on Maeve before we move on to the next character? It's hard to have too many thoughts on Maeve post season three, just because so much of what she's doing is outside of her own agency. Exactly. She is, you know, I thought it was really cool when she was, you know, in an artificial reality within an artificial reality and ends up. Yeah, that was super cool. That was like really cool idea of like, this is this server or machine that's like running her reality. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, she uh, basically makes it break through, too many logical inconsistencies or something and yeah ends up escaping in uh, if i recall like the body of this like chappy-esque robot and it's really cool yeah that was um, that was awesome yeah yeah but by the end and despite having rewatched the season three finale just hours ago um <laughs> i'm i'm not entirely sure what her deal is when it comes to i want to see my daughter i want to see my daughter oh i guess i'll see her eventually i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think the 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 journey there is that she was willing to give up seeing her daughter because killing Sorak like Sorak promised her a trip to the Sublime or whatever, and she could see her daughter, and you know she was willing to give that up to help Caleb out, and I, I guess that's the journey is you know she's at, she's at peace with that idea that like she's gonna figure it out somehow, 
but yes, I, I yeah. would agree with you. Not a super compelling season three journey for Maeve, unfortunately. Yeah, would have um, loved to have seen her coming to terms with it, you know? Yeah, yes. In a dramatic Agreed. sense. What you just said could be described all the characters I'm about to talk about, you know? so Let's do it. <laughs> I would love to see them come to terms with it. I, that's just a blanket true statement for the show. Yeah. And um, uh, b- before we move on to the rest of the list, um, I don't think the list is going to mention the fact that Rehoboam is dead. Rest in peace, King. Um, <laughs> but so, so, so let me just say, let me just say before we move on, I'm really, really going to miss those, those light eerie notes of Raman Jawadi's score whenever we are, you know, in Rehoboam or Rehoboam is being talked about. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm going to miss that in season four. Anyway, let's continue. I do think the visual motif of like divergences and, you know, that uh, Sorak had it on his watch of like, you could see whenever divergences. That's like a cool idea that's brought to mm-hmm. life really vividly and, and mm-hmm. effectively. So, uh, all right, let's talk about uh, Haloris, right? So, Dolores in Charlotte Hale's body eventually grew dis- disillusioned with Charlotte Hale um, towards the end of uh, season three and like actively was working against her. At one point, she even figures out a way to freeze Dolores's body, I think. I don't, I don't think that was ever explained how that happened, but like. There's an extra Dolores lying around. Yeah, but I. But also, Sidon, that was their whole plan all along, you know. Of course was it was. Yeah. For Dolores to get interfaced with Rehoboam and delete Rehoboam. Um, anyway, at the end of uh, season three, post credit sequence, we see that. Um, Haloris is in Delos and she has, uh, tons of like machines that are fabricating hosts to what ends. We are not clear, maybe to create a robot uprising slash takeover. And she also creates a duplicate of the man in black, AKA William, who then ends up murdering the real William in rather brutal fashion. Um, unclear exactly why she did that, but apparently William is going to be key to whatever her next steps are. Um, also it's a fun way to keep Ed Harris in the show because it's very possible. There's going to be a massive time jump this season. Uh, who knows what's actually going to happen, but yeah. Are we talking about things, uh, that we've glimpsed in the season four trailer? I mean, I guess you can, you can talk about the teaser, right? So yeah. What, what, what are you, what are you, what is on your mind from the teaser? Like you said, good way to keep Ed Harris in the show, you know, having his, his host version, uh, live on, but I'm also unclear as to whether or not the real William dies because there's stuff that's in the trailers for the new one that makes me think, wait, wait, is he, is he still around after getting his throat slashed? Cause you don't, you don't actually see him like die. You don't see the life leave his eyes and it's a post credit <laughs> scene. So man, it's, it's going to be interesting. You're gonna find, to we're going to find go. out open season four. It was all a hologram. What we just saw, oh, gosh. you know, like, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's very possible that she's imbued host version of William with characteristics of real life William, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, but who who knows? Who knows? So the question of, I, I think the big question for me is what time frame does season four take place in? And I'll, I'll get I'll get to that in a moment. But mm-hmm. suffice to say, William is dead. Probably there is a host version of William uh, that is going to team up with Hey Loris, and they are up to nefarious ends. <laughs> Charloris, Charloris. Uh, yeah, fine, Charloris. Caleb Nichols. Um, he uh, he was a hitman on behalf of Rehoboam slash Solomon, and uh, he helped to take out outliers. 
and he took these drugs that it kept him sedated and so on. Uh, and then at the end of season three was chosen to be head of the robot, the, the human uprising. He's going to be the leader of all mankind after the ashes, uh, after, you know, after the ashes of society have uh, been risen from. Um, and uh, he and Maeve kind of team up at the end of season three. Right. So uh, any thoughts on Caleb as a character, Caleb's storyline, season three, any, any thoughts on that? Once again, incredibly interesting in spurts yeah but you know i can't help but wonder does he need to be the leader of all humankind all human resistances um how and i guess that's maybe a question the next season could ask too you know how how does he deal with being you know shouldered with this responsibility um so i think he might be the character who i'm most interested to revisit um you know not not to sound like I have an anti-host bias, but it is, you know, unfortunately the one the one human character who I'm gravitating towards. Because um, I think his stuff is probably the most clear from a dramatic standpoint, um, you know, in terms of what his whole deal is. Okay, he's been controlled all his life. He has an opportunity to fight back against the system. But does that mean, you know, going from not just obscurity, but a a path of, you know, potentially offing himself in 10 years time, going from that path to leading humanity into the light. What is that going to do to him psychologically? I wonder. And um, I wonder, you know, are we going to go far enough in this time jump now or at some point where we might hit that 10 year mark and, you know, we might have him wonder like, you know, how, how destined am I for what Rehoboam predicted? Yeah. I think we've seen this kind of hero's journey many times of a character who's like, I'm just a normal guy. I can't possibly <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And it's hard to make that journey super interesting. Yeah. And movies like the matrix can do it with just an incredible fusion of all these different styles and elements from other films. And um, same thing. I could say the same thing for star Wars as well. You know, Luke Skywalker having that journey. The problem with, a character like Caleb is again what we've already alluded to. Of, um, I just don't think we get to know him super well, and I, I don't think like he spent he spent so much time being kind of ferreted along in the plot mm -hmm. by Dolores, and and also yeah, not having too much agency in season three. I think he's kind of like going on endless fetch quests. It feels like to me in season three, and so uh, I hope season four will will build out this character and help us get to know him a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about um, Bernard and Stubbs. So, again, Bernard and, and Stubbs basically spent virtually the entirety of season three kind of chasing down Dolores' leads, right? Pretty and much. she brings him back for a purpose, and it's, I guess, to provide some kind of balance. Like, did you have a sense of, like, why Dolores involved Bernard? Did you Was that super clear to you? I think I missed, I missed it on rewatch. Yeah, uh, what's the actor's name again? Gosh, I uh, love Jeffrey that Wright. Actor. Jeffrey Wright. I think it's because Jeffrey Wright was contractually obligated to be in the new season. <laughs> Probably. Um, like, at, at this point, it, it may as well be that, like, because he didn't really have much to do this season after being such an integral part of it last time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and he was yet another character who felt like he was on somebody else's quest. And, you know, every time you'd cut away to him, 
it was it was just a matter of all right at what point is he going to be brought back into the fold of the main story yeah um so at the end of season three he accidentally frees the man in black you know bad move that you know william says you should have killed me when you had the chance which is correct um but then uh stubbs is injured in that confrontation uh he discovers that Dolores has implanted the key to the Valley Beyond and the Sublime inside him, and that he can use that key to access the Valley Beyond, Um, which he does, but not before sort of talking with the wife, Lauren, uh, who's uh, the wife of Arnold, as you said, Whose, mm-hmm. whose memories his were based off of. It's a very, yes. very powerful scene, actually, like very well mm-hmm. acted by both of them. Um, but then he, he, he kind of uploads himself to the Valley Beyond. And that's that. We see him in the post credit sequence wake up seemingly years, if not decades later. That's the thing that I'm curious about is we have seen in past seasons, like stuff that takes place like, tens if not hundreds of years in the future mm-hmm. and i am curious if season four will intersect with it at all like i i believe jeffrey wright is in season four of westworld yeah. so and he's theoretically been in the valley beyond this whole time when he because when he wakes up in the hotel room he's like been it see i don't think he got up and went somewhere else in the middle of that so is season four going to take place like 10 years in the future is my question um I or 20 years in the future They've left it, uh, they left that scene open in an interesting way because, you know, uh, maybe at the time they didn't know, you know, when exactly season four was going to take place. So let's make it look vaguely like, you know, some time has passed. It could be a year. It could be a thousand years. You know, who's to say some hooligans didn't sneak in in the middle of the night and cover him and cover him in bird seeds and it's just been one day. Um, the real question about That'll that That would be scene, amazing. That would be amazing. The yeah. real question about that scene is Stubbs in the tub? Yes. Has is Stubbs, Stubbs still in the ble- tub? Has Stubbs bled out? You know, we need to know. All us Luke Hemsworth fans deserve answers. Yes, all all, all five of you. All five of um, us. I do think he is the best Hemsworth. Just FYI. Re- are, really? In, what? In terms of in terms of acting ability, yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm being completely serious. T- tell me more about this. Let's, let's expand on this. Tell me why you... Sure. So why, he's on this why do show you think... called Westworld. I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> why do you think <laughs> uh, Luke Hemsworth is the best Hemsworth? Well, I think when you're put in a position where you're not... Where you don't have like a, a Thor or a Hunger Games kind of thing. You, you, you do have the ability to do more nuanced things, to... Uh, so maybe it's a matter of circumstance. Maybe I haven't mm-hmm. seen enough of the other Hemsworth. If it was in Chris like... in the show, he would have been able to do a bunch of uh, acting as well. Have you seen Spiderhead? Have you seen Spiderhead? I have. Yet? Yes. No, I think Chris Hemsworth is incredible in that. He mm-hmm. is. But I don't know. There's just something about Hemsworth 3 that that just really speaks to me on on like a really subtle level. And which is not to say that um, Chris and, gosh, Hunger Games Hemsworth, Liam? Liam. Which yes. is not to say that they're bad actors. I think they're both fantastic. Yeah. But I don't know. Gun to my head. It, it's got to be Luke. Wow. Okay. The question, is Sub still alive? I think he's probably still alive. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And then finally, uh, we already mentioned that Sorok is dead. He tried to get access to the Westworld data, which would have helped him to 
further Rehoboam's causes, which was Rehoboam's purpose was to ensure that humans didn't kill themselves, like didn't annihilate themselves. Um, but he failed and theoretically he dies at the end of season three. So let's talk about the one character, you know, we've been talking about like how like everyone hasn't really had an arc this season. Let's talk about the one character that did have an arc, which is Dolores, right? She's the one that's actually driving all the action in season three. And Which one? Which Dolores are we talking about? <laughs> Dolores Prime, you know, the okay. original Dolores. Okay. And she uh, uploads herself. She gets herself uploaded to Rehoboam. Uh, and is able to like delete Rehoboam because like I guess she had Solomon's technology inside her and was then able to like implant it inside Rehoboam, which is then able to delete Rehoboam. Um, R.I.P. But she she has a, had a pretty interesting arc if you look at just the bones of it, which is she went from kill all humans to maybe humans deserve to live outside of their constraints. You know, maybe I'm going to lead humans to their freedom. Yes. And I like that overall as an arc. I think, again, it's weighed down by all the stuff that we've already been talking about, but I think it's a solid arc. Um, any thoughts on Dolores, who theoretically dies at the end of season three, but they're, mm-hmm. they're going to figure out a way to bring back in season four? Sure. I, I do like the idea that, as you call her Dolores Prime, I do like the idea that her journey has ended. We mm-hmm. will see these other versions of Dolores. We will yeah. see Evan Rachel Wood back as, you know, some other character, but... The the one who we have been following, from whom the other copies are made, um, I like looking at her journey in completion from the beginning of season one to discovering all these horrifying truths to discovering her role in them as kind of, you know, in a way, the original grand design of the Delos Park in a way. Um, I also like that her name is Dolores and the the company is Delos. And I feel like there's mm-hmm. some kind of connection there, but that that's a story for another time. Um, but yeah, I like all the things that she has gone through and the way that she's responded to them. Even if, um, you know, I do feel like her, her change towards the end of season three comes a little too quickly and we don't sit with it for long enough. But again, at this point that that's just like, we can assume that's our default criticism for like every character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you look at, you know, where Dolores has been in totality in the, I guess the 30 or so years that we've seen her, you know, sometimes we, we've seen, you know, the past and the present unfolding at the same time through her eyes and, you know, her discovery of the fact that the world is just so, so messed up that she can experience something like that and she can experience all this cruelty and then, you know, seeing her become cruel and embody that cruelty and then eventually leave it behind, I think is, it's it's a good way to, it's a good place to end her journey. Yeah. If if that is in fact where it ended. Oh God. We'll, we'll see if they bring her back. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a solid, solid arc for that character. So in terms of the next season, the biggest questions I have are, when does it take place? Yes. You know, how are they going to bring Dolores Prime back in the picture if it is her? What is the man in black's role? What is Caleb's role? What did Bernard see in the, the Valley Beyond? If Bernard is even in this season. Uh, those are my big questions. And, and also, like, the show has tried to tackle these massive issues. You know, free will, determinism, AI controlling humans, like all this stuff. And I'm like, 
what is the main arc of this season going to be, right? Like, mm-hmm. they, they already tried to resolve the idea of free will in one season. They're, they, <laughs> it's already like, it's 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 done. It's Rehoboam is dead, right? So, uh, it, I could see it taking a Matrix Reloaded style path where, uh, oh, they, they broke out of the system, but they they found them as like it was actually another system of control, you know, like mm-hmm. may, maybe that way. But anyway, any other thoughts on kind of as you think about season four? And again, we know very little as we're recording this. Anything you're looking forward to, or any thoughts you have on it? I want to see what it's like for these characters to pick up the pieces after, you know, the world has fallen apart or, you know, been burned down in a sense. Um, You know, have they been able to raise the system to the ground and what comes next? Because, you know, the ending with Caleb and Maeve, you know, on that bridge overlooking the destruction, you know, a lot of people have said this. It feels a lot like the ending to Fight Club. You You met uh, me at a very strange time in my life. Yeah. Exactly. This, you know, system-wide reset. And, you know, while there is a Fight Club 2 comic, it's not one that a lot of people have read, myself included. Um, but the question that I've always had watching Fight Club is, okay, they've done that. What next? And I wonder if, you know, in some sense, that's what we'll get to see. What happens next? Um, you know, are they going to start from scratch? Are some parts of society going to start from scratch? You know, what is the relationship between humanity and AI going to be, you know, presumably all these years later? Is it, you know, what what are the alliances? What are the factions? Even just between the characters themselves. Because, you know, that's going to be a a big thing to move the plot forward. Who's on whose side and, you know, who's off on which tangent and which subplot. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see what the foundation of this season is. Agreed. Agreed. All right. And and, um, go ahead. It's Stubbs in the dub, man. It's Stubbs in the dub. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Um, Siddhanth Adlaka, I'm grateful that you have chosen to come on this journey with me through Westworld Season 4. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And we are grateful to all of our listeners for sticking with us. Really appreciate you. Uh, but that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we will plan to uh, upload new episodes every Monday is the current plan maybe Mm -hmm. tuesday if we're delayed but the current plan is to get these up on monday our recaps on monday um so look forward to them on the decoding westworld feed at decodingwestworld.com you can also email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com until next time we'll see you later even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.